Hi, I'm Kieran Cook, and welcome to At Source Podcast, a place where natural health and well-being are at the forefront of the conversation. Gain useful insights direct from the source from doctors, industry experts, wellness advocates, and everything in between. This is a place for busy people who want to get to the core of health and wellness with information about the latest health advances and trends. In this series, we talk with and learn from inspiring leaders from all walks of life, touching on important topics that will help answer some of the key questions about natural health, well-being, fitness, and all things direct from the source. Sheridan Ekatoni is a family coach, presenter, and facilitator trainer at The Parenting Place, a New Zealand charity for families. The Parenting Place offers everything from practical resources, events, courses, and one-on-one coaching to help parents wherever they're on their journey. Sheridan has four children of her own and takes inspiration from the lessons her tamariki have taught her when it comes to her work. In this episode, we cover building resilience, establishing helpful frameworks, and the challenging frontier parents face with their children on the internet. Hi, Sheridan. Hi, Kieran. Hi. Welcome to At Source. We're in season six at the moment, and uh, it's just great to have you, you know, join join me. And uh, we were really pleased when you said that you'd come on board. And we have these gritty conversations, and I think you're just a perfect um, guest to have today. So to kick things off, um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you came to be at The Parenting Place. I don't know how long you've actually been there for. Mm. I've done a bit of deep research, but I couldn't actually see how long you've been with them. And um, obviously, I've, as a parent, I've had a, a lot of admiration um, for the work that, you know, Parenting Place do. I've had a little bit of an association back in the day with Diane Levy. Um, oh, great. Yeah. yeah. So um, maybe you could just sort of share a little bit about your own relationship with The Parenting Place. Yeah, sure. So I think, Kieran, like you, I was a bit of a fangirl of Parenting Place. Um, and so I started in 2018 um, and I had come from, uh, actually, I was working for Plunkett as a parent educator. Um, and I had spent about five years uh, running parenting courses uh, and found myself in Christchurch running a parenting course. And my friend at Parenting Place said, let's have coffee. And literally, by the time I flew out that night, I had an interview, and um, the rest is history. So, yeah, I'm really pleased to be working at Parenting Place. It's an incredible organisation. Well, that seems like a kind of a natural kind of sideways manoeuvre, to, and, and impressive that they had you all signed up so quickly over a cup of coffee. <laughs> and, of course, I do remember the good old Plunkett days. Um, yeah. Are they still, are they still running? So, yeah, so obviously Plunkett in general is um, still very prominent, but the parenting education side of Plunkett has now finished. So, um, yeah, so it's a shame, but we, um, it's good for us because we have lots of ways of supporting parents. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, it's obviously a charity and um, all parents, you know, have access to, to the parenting place. I think probably the resources that are on offer aren't leveraged um well they're not uh, known probably 
you know, across the board. I, I mean, myself, I mean, I've often got my father in my ear saying, hey, there's workshops on, you know, teenagers and anxiety, you should drop in or um, there's workshops, you know, here and there. So I guess I'm interested in hearing a little bit more about the resources and what kinds of issues um, people sort of come to the parenting place for. Yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it, that um, we are known for that place that you can go when you are having challenges with your child, whatever age. And so um, there's a few things that we do. One thing I love is our website is full of really helpful resources, so articles. There's a really great one um, on teen anxiety. Um, And so there's a whole bunch of stuff on the website, but also we run parenting courses. So these are six-week courses, um, often online, but also in person. Um, So we have uh, preschool years, primary years, and teenage years. Um, So we kind of, you know, spread across the whole range of parenting. Um, And then uh, there's another program that we run called Building Awesome Whānau, and that's a beautiful program that's written from a a Māori worldview, and Mm. it's just stunning. And then one of our uh, most popular programs is a program called Space, and it's actually for mothers and babies of zero to one-year-olds. And the last thing, and the thing that I do on the daily, is um, we have family coaches. So, Kieran, if you were struggling with your teenager and you felt like life was just a bit overwhelming, you could come sit sit with us and we can talk through some strategies to... Ah, book yeah. me in. We've got, got, an, got, got an open calendar. Um, <laughs> totally <laughs> Gosh, do. I mean, if you, you must be so full. Um, so, that's... Uh, no, that's, that's amazing. So, in, in terms of... Um, I guess who's coming along, Mm. um, are are, are parents coming along when their tank's empty, their parental tank is empty, and so it's sort of a a reactive thing, or are you finding that there's a a lot of proactive parents out there that are coming along just because they want to be better parents? How's it working? Yeah, it's it's both of those things, Kieran. It's, um, you know, often we we have parents come when they're absolutely at their wit's end, Um, but often also we have parents who come that may have questions am I doing this right? And the thing that I love about the work that we do is getting to sit alongside parents and encourage them on their journey that, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. We're Mm. actually wanting good enough parents and that, you know, Mm. if we meet our children's needs enough of the time, that's where they Mm. thrive. And so, yeah, so I'd say it's right across the spectrum. So um, I encourage all parents, it's never a wrong time to invest into your parenting. That's really interesting. I I think it's difficult to have a to be a badge of honour parent because you know your kids are so different and just when you think you might have aced it or nailed it, you know you, you get a second or third child and you sort of go, oh, um, I thought that I'd kind of done this sort of journey. Um, okay, I can't really rinse and repeat this. And it's amazing how many parents I talk to who go, oh, my children are so different. And you, you know, I don't, I don't think I've actually met a single parent who goes, oh yeah, no, my kids are pretty much the same. They kind of roll the same. It's been pretty much the same consistent parental journey. Are you just, have you found that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I have four kids, four very different kids and yeah. yeah. What's with that? Same I, DNA. <laughs> same parents. Yeah. No milkman child at my house. It's same no. mum and dad and yeah, yeah. totally different different struggles different personalities Mm. um yeah so it can be a real challenge and you know it it would be nice if it could be cookie cutter and what works for one could work with the other Mm. but it just isn't how humans are made 
That's right. And I don't I don't think there's enough uh, sort of pre-parental commentary out there either to let young people know just how hard it is. That's I reckon it. there should just be so much more banter for young people. I mean, when, I, when I'm saying young people, I'm not talking about, you know, teen mums or anything. I'm talking about 25, 23, 24, yes. just when there's this kind of, you know, maybe slight cluckiness going on about just how, how hard it is actually being a parent. I, no, no one in my generation told me how hard it would be to have children or just how unglossy it is. Like, I, you know, I always joke because I've got a bit of a sort of a warped sense of humour and I, I always say, you know, children are just so overrated. <laughs> you know, I'll probably get shot for saying it, but, you know, it's sort of like a social myth that actually having children sort of um, is what you do, you know, and it's just like... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't really want to get me started, but I mean, for a long time I had one. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and I didn't really have a huge urge to have two until sort of six years later. Yes, and I largely did it for my son because he was very social. Well, and I thought oh, it would be a shame for him to be alone in the world, you know. Yeah. So I was sort of like I didn't have a deep maternal urge, and I was an ex-teacher, so I always found that really interesting. Yeah. Um, it was always more fun teaching others, other people's children, and sort of growing other people's children. Much harder growing your own, of course. Um. But I do, I do think it's a really massive job. It's really hard. And I don't think there's a lot of commentary out there warning young people about just how hard it actually is. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the more that often in my coaching room I'm talking to parents about the more we understand ourselves, the better we are equipped to help our kids. And I think that's what happens when you become a parent suddenly all the things that maybe you might have struggled with you see are replicated in your child (laughs) can be quite devastating but actually um that's why it's so important that we give parents tools to really understand who they are who their child is and so that there's less of that sort of mismatch between the 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 child that the stalk bring and the one that we mm. thought that we wanted might not always be the same. And so, mm. you know, that's our passion um, at Parenting Place. You know, we really want to see within New Zealand um, children that are deeply loved and, and are thriving within their families. And the only way we can do that is to equip the parents. So, yeah, it would be great, wouldn't it, if it was part of the high school curriculum that you could understand and learn some something about becoming Responsibilities. Yeah, this is the responsibilities that you carry within the health education That's curriculum it. or something. Particularly at maybe year 13 when that, you know, kids are a bit more mature and probably have the EQ to sort of carry that. That's it. Um, tell me uh, what this phrase, circle of security, means, because I know you have a particular interest in this and you refer to this quite a bit. Um, maybe just explain that to me and... Um, just sort of share an overview of of this attachment theory because I don't think many people would be familiar with this concept. Yeah. So it's one of my favourite things to talk about, so apologies in advance. Yeah. (laughs) Go um, for it. (laughs) So what I love about it is Circle Security is a parenting, it's actually a parenting programme that was designed by three psychologists who had over 30 years of um, knowledge and attachment. And they thought, how can we teach um, parents how attachment is formed? And so they came up with this idea of the circle. And Kieran, what it really means is it's understanding how relationship, our relationship with our children is really influential on them growing up feeling safe and secure in their world. So it's really understanding that the more connected we are to our children, 
the safer they feel in their world and the more happy they are then to explore their world and the better they are behaved. That's like sort of like the down the mm. track added benefit. So they came up with this idea of thinking of parents as the safe place uh, or the secure base from which a child goes out to explore. And as much as our children go out to explore and they might be happy and having a great time, we need to support them doing that. But equally, there's a point in which every child needs to come back for some support and some sort of being welcomed when they're overwhelmed. And what it really helps parents see is on both sides of that circle, um, our children are asking us to meet a need. And the more that we identify that need, the more that security grows, the more that connection grows and the, and the safer they feel in their world. So it's a really beautiful way of kind of taking that really big, incredible attachment theory and having it be able to um, be explainable to parents. Mm. And of course, um, you know, not all children want to go out and explore in vast ways. And so there'd be sort of, you know, constraints around that theory. That's it, yeah. Some some kids do want to go out and do big things and, you know, they sort of of stretch that parameter theory. Yes. And, you know, I've got one that does and I've got one that doesn't. I've got one that's just happy to be in bed all day. That's it, yeah. And and again, personality comes into play. You know, some, some kids are homebodies. Yeah. Yes, homebodies, and some kids love to be mm. out and about. Yeah, absolutely. It's I like, think, you know, do you, do you want pizzas in? And why did you have friends and sleepovers? And it's sort of like, no, thanks. You know, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think what I love about it too is um, helping parents understand where their struggle is. So sometimes mm. parents will struggle with the idea of their child going out to explore and that will be where they struggle. For me, with my four kids, I was quite happy for them to go out to explore, but I tended to struggle more when I felt like they needed me all the time. And so that sense of them coming back into me for comfort was where I felt a little bit of discomfort. And so um, understanding that if I could meet their needs in that moment, they actually are more happy to go out to explore was quite powerful for me. And so you can really shift your sort of your your heart back towards your child and say, actually, come here, I've got you. And and I know Mm. that I can help in this situation. So it's Mm. quite a powerful tool. Um, But the, the reason I love it is that it's down to relationship. So parenting is all about building connection and relationship. So anything we can do to build that connection and that relationship mm. is great for our kids. Are you finding that, you know, I'm just thinking about that relationship piece that you're talking about. I'm finding that, uh, and I think it's this technology um, sort of interface thing. Now, I find that texting my daughter, you know, um, around difficult things is somewhat easier than going into her bedroom and with my annoyed voice on saying, hey, you know, you're still buying Roblox on my credit card. You know, I can't <laughs> believe it. I told you not to. It's essentially stealing. But if I, yeah. but if I, te- if I text her and mm-hmm. say, hey, I've just had charges on my credit card for December and January, you, you know, it's essentially stealing, that mitigates fire and brimstone. It just yeah. seems to be... a. a um, a slightly more palatable way of communicating discomfort. Yeah. But this this technology thing is really interesting because when you talk about relationship back in my day, or even with my son who's 21, I would have spoken to him. He's 21. My daughter's 15. So it's only six years. That's but it. But in six years, there's been such a massive shift 
in the way that my daughter's generation want to talk yes. or not talk. Yeah. yeah I don't I, know if that's something you've noticed with your own children and the, yeah. the generational shifts. I really have. And, you know, I think of being a teenager or sort of teenager. I just remember pulling the phone into my, uh, my cupboard and having hour-long conversations with my friends. And, you know, really now our teens are doing that all over FaceTime and text, as you say. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it becomes a real challenge to know how to balance it right um, because well, even as a parent, like she'll go I'll, if I use if I if I you know call her on the phone. Why are you calling me? You could have texted me. Yeah. Why are you call, Why are you calling me on my phone? Oh, sorry. I thought. Oh, sorry. I thought you actually used phones to call people. Oh, you know, last I time I looked. It. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And the funny thing <laughs> with teenagers that I think is something to think about, especially in the teen years. I love the idea of thinking about where we can connect with them. And I, mm. um, my son, uh, played basketball for quite a few years, and I would find the best time to have a conversation with him was when I would pick him, pick him up from training, the endorphins are going, we are sat side yeah. by side in the car, yeah. there's no eyeballing him. Um, mm. And so I think with our teens, we have to be smart about um, yeah. catching them when they're in a good mood, not sitting them down and saying, hey, I just want to have an eyeballed to yeah. eyeball conversation right now. So you don't get the AirPods, they don't go in as soon as your team <laughs> sits in the car. Because I am in the generation of that's the AirPods. It. Yeah, yeah. They, these little white things yes, go everywhere. I it. mean, everywhere. They go to the toilet. Yeah. They go everywhere. Yeah, and you've got to wonder, are they always on? That's my question, because my kids are the same. They're, they're like, always surely on. They're, surely they're not they're, on. No, they're always on. on. They're, never, they're never not on. They're on, they're on music. Yeah. It's, yeah, they're yeah. not on TED Talks. No, they're not they're on, on they're how, not how to be the they're best They're not educating teenager. themselves. <laughs> <laughs> then it's not self-betterment, Sheridan. Oh, I really wished it was. It's not personal growth. <laughs> it's Drake or it's... Um, you know, and sometimes I go, you know, what are you What are you actually watching on YouTube? Like, like what are you watching? Like, yeah. You know, like, what is it that's so consuming? You know, and yes. it, it's, it's essentially, it's like... It's essentially like um, TikTok. It's just snackable, flashy stuff that goes by in small bite sizes. And yeah. It's just McDonald's menu, but visual, you know, That's touch it. screen, you know. Yeah. It's got to be, I mean, what are, what are those brains going to be doing in 10 years? It's going to be so fried and neuroned out, surely. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, and I, this is where I feel there's real challenge for parents to yep. know how to stay in the arena around technology. Mm. Um, we we talk a lot about um, starting things well. So um, when you do feel like your child is ready, and I wish there was an exact age around this, mm. but every child will be different. But mm. I really like the idea of um, sitting down and having a bit of a phone contract with them where you actually yeah. spell out what, what you're going to agree to and have some really firm boundaries around it. The thing I like about that is if we buy in and the child buys in, it doesn't become um, us telling them, get off your phone. It's a war. It's, I know. It's you've, I've, you, I've you've been agreed in that war this. zone. 
it doesn't actually work because yeah. the child finds workabouts, ways of being on at 2 a.m. when you're asleep. Yeah. And then you end up being sleep deprived because you anticipate at 2 a.m. that they're going to be on their phones, which they are. Yeah. So we've been in the pits of that um, as parents. Yeah. Yeah. We, and- we, yeah. Yeah, one thing that we've found really helpful with our kids is screen time. And I, I only know for Apple phones, but I know that the screen time has been really helpful for us where you can actually de- decide a time that it actually shuts off. Um, and so the apps are useless. Uh, so that's mm. one way to get around it. But also, um, again, I think one of the problems that we have with our, especially our teens, but even young kids that have their phones in their room, and we yeah. know how important sleep is. And so, again, if I take it back to how we start things, that's where having real good, firm boundaries at the beginning, you know, it mm. might be that, hey, nine o'clock, your phone comes in to the lounge and it gets charged yeah. here. Yeah. And um, and I guess it's fair to say, Karen, and I'm sure it's happened at your house, that this is a boundary they're always going to bump up against and we're going to mm. have to revisit and mm. we're going to have to navigate with them but I, mm. I just think it's so important that we don't just check out of the game because sometimes it gets so overwhelming that we just throw our hands up and, oh, I just don't even understand. We've got to stay in the game. Yeah. Well, the carnage, um, actually pushing through and insisting on those boundaries brings That's a lot it. of carnage when addiction is at play. That's it, um, yeah. And that becomes a whole new level of game. Yes. Um, so, no, it isn't an easy arena to tackle. Um I do think, I mean, there's options like boarding school for parents <laughs> that really struggle, which is something we've actually put put it, put it into a few nights a week where, where phones do actually get handed in and all yeah. the girls hand their phones in and, and it's just like follow the leader and that's worked really well. It's just created a boundary during that's the week. It. Yeah. Um, which is which is really good. Um, but, you know, I was just sort of interested because I think that, you know, that technology piece is going to really shake up not just kids and, and their sort of ne- neuron functions, the neurological functions. Um, but, but I think it creates just a whole new dynamic for parenting that I just didn't have to battle with my first. That's it. But I've just noticed that with my second, it's presented a whole lot of other problems and issues and addictions and yeah. reliant, reliances as well That's it. that yeah. weren't there yeah. with my first. Yeah, so one one tool that I use in coaching quite a lot is um, this idea of the healthy mind platter. Um, there's a great um, a guy called Dan Segal, another psychologist, who's brought out that, that there are seven things our, our kids and our teens need in order for a healthy mind. Sleep was one, sleep time, physical t- time, so moving their body, downtime, mm. so rest, obviously, mm. um, focus time, so obviously you would hope at school or wherever they are, they're getting that. Play time, and again, play is so often overlooked in families. Mm. Um, mm. And well, love, How would you define that? What does that look like? You know, again, it's different for the ages, but it's bringing in game night on a Friday night. It is um, tricking your teens into going for ice creams and then ending up at the beach and running around. Okay. And, you know, it's uh, you have to be smart, I think, to get yeah. your teens on board. But yeah. um, but I think we forget to how to play, especially mm-hmm. adults forget how to play. Um, time mm-hmm. in and then connecting time. So uh, connecting time can be 
um, eating around the table. It can be just those routines and rituals in the week that's really good. So one thing that we tried when I heard about this concept, I had also seen, um, oh, now his name has left me. Nathan Wallace had done a great talk on the teenage brain and he talked about technology as well. And he had suggested that if you have a two hour window off devices a day is a really healthy thing to start, start, especially with our teens and our kids that are on devices at school. So I thought I'm gonna give this a go. What does it look like to have two hours a day where we just get off devices? Now my kids had been coming home from school the moment Apple in their one hand device in the other or earpods and computers screens it didn't matter what kind of screen it was on and so we sat down and I just said hey I'm really conscious that I want you guys to have a healthy mind and and this is what I'd love to try from three till five we're going to have no devices well Karen you can imagine <laughs> World War three yeah. four five whatever it is and um, they were not happy. And for the first couple... They, there were no high fives around the no, table. No, they were not like, that's such no. a great idea, Mum. So they were super grumpy. But what came next blew my mind. So they went from literally counting down the moments until five to mm. they now come home, they grab the apple, they go through to their room, books have come out again, drawing pads, and... I just love watching them have a space in the day where it's just downtime, it's reflection time. I often say, what are you going to do with your thinking time? What are you going to dream about? Mm. And I think it's such a good reminder that, you know, our kids have forgotten how to be bored. They are so stimulated on every level. And so wherever we can just have a window of time that that everybody's off devices. And if I go on my phone, it's trouble. They tell me to get off as well. Um, So so you're off too, are you? Yeah. The rule applies for you too. I I get off as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a healthy healthy way of just having a bit of a reset in the day. Yeah. So, um, So it's a good thing to try. Very good. I could give it a go. You could. Yeah. I like it. It's yeah. a good. It's a really good practical kind of real life example. That's it. Um, so, so in in terms of, um, you know, you know, you carrying things. You know, I'm as interested. You know, just to learn. You know, you carry things that kids sort of teach you into your work. Like, you're you're learning obviously from kids. You you go into the parenting place. You're working a lot with children. What are the things that you're learning? because you're interfacing with kids at the moment. I'm talking in the present at the moment. Yeah. What are the pressing issues? Because I've seen that you're doing quite a lot of work, sort of, you did quite a bit of work during COVID, but you're doing mm. quite a bit of work post-COVID, um, particularly around this notion of connection, because yeah. obviously when we were all in lockdown, um, initially Zooms were quite fun, <laughs> and then they and working from home was quite fun, and you talk about that initial thrill and then you sort of talk about that setting in and being you know real life for a while and then we've sort of come out of that now and we're sort of getting back into life again and there must be a bit of fallout with kids socially because they were sort of you know living quite reclusively for a while um so what what are are the things you're learning at the moment just Mm. as we sort of come out of lockdown yeah, you know, I think we there were so many beautiful things as 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 much as there were many hard things, but I do think the lockdowns brought a real sense of um, 
a kind of a reset and what's important. And I know a lot of families have talked about they started baking and they went for big family walks and they really slowed it down for a bit. And I think we've really gone in, especially 2022, I think families have just gone back full bore and parents are tired and kids are tired. Um, And so I'm often encouraging parents to think about what does it look like to, to slow things down a bit. There can be such a race to do everything, to overschedule our kids. Um, and, and that's one thing that I'm encouraging people to think about. What did you learn in lockdown? What did you actually need? Because I don't know about you, Kieran, but I was struck with at the end of the day what's important. And it's these people that I'm journeying with, that's these kids, that's this relationship. And um, so anything we can do to slow down, to build connection. And I think we do have to be a little bit careful that we don't go too far back into the crazy. And that's easier said than done in in lots Mm. of families, but um, there's real benefit to slow it down and think about what's important. What about mental health? Because I've got a friend who's a GP and she's working at one of Auckland's tertiary institutions. Uh, She's doing about I think three days a week there working with students and she's saying you know she's flat out and I think I said I think I said to her oh you know what are the main issues are you dealing with a lot of and I think I sort of pulled up some sort of real 80s sort of issue and she said no it's mostly mental health actually yeah. you know and um that's what I'm dealing with and it's you know fallout from COVID are you are you noticing and you know, I, actually, my local GP said the same thing. He was noticing that teens were having a lot of mental health issues and he could see that there were going to be some pretty big issues over the next couple of years with teenagers. Yeah. Um, what's been your experience at the parenting place yeah. around mental health in general? Yes. Yeah, so we we definitely... Um, the thing I love about uh, coaching is uh, we are obviously coaches. We're not psychologists, but... We have the ability to um, provide a service that supports parents on the way to often getting that deeper level of support. And one thing that I'm encouraging parents to think about is when we think about how we're going to help our teens with their mental health, one real thing that we have to do first off the bat is think about how are we managing our own mental health. Um, what does it look like for me to look after myself? What happens when I get really upset or anxious? And um, I think there's such a correlation between understanding yourself well so that you can lend some of your calm to your kids. And not Mm. only that, but then what are we modeling for our kids as to how we deal with stress in life? Because our kids are great observers and terrible interpreters. Mm. So they're watching us all the time and um, it's a really good opportunity to think about how can we how can we look after ourselves well so that they're starting to learn how to, to look after but them. The, sure, but then the flip side is that, you know, a teen's or, or a child's really bad behaviour can induce parental stress. Absolutely. And then, and, then a, and then a parent can struggle with health management and all kinds That's of it. things. Yeah. So, yeah. you know... It's a little bit chicken and egg. It, it is, yeah, and it is hard often because, um, yeah, both both ways can be a challenge and um, and often it is thinking about uh, how can I respond in the moment and how can I choose a better response than, than potentially losing it. And that's really hard mm. to do 
when we mm. have really low capacity in ourselves. Well, that's right, because I think it's difficult for parents, you know, to manage their own mood if they're under stress. That's it. So what what tips would you offer parents? What, yeah. How can they be better parents or manage or just be better humans, yes. you know, when they're under stress? Yeah. So um, I love, we've, we've got a little bit of a rugby analogy, the parenting places. Um, pause, hold and engage. Okay. Or pause, reflect and engage. And I think, you know, I'm sure it's happened at your house, Kieran, but our child's emotions can bump into our emotions and set us off and trigger us. And um, and because we know that to be true, I'm sure it's happened at your house, it's definitely happened at mine, we need to have a strategy for how we can deal with it so that we don't end up um, shouting or yelling or, or doing something that we might re- uh, regret. So pause is literally thinking about breath and so actually taking some serious deep breaths and they you know anyone who's into a bit of yoga or mindfulness will know that that breath that long breath out is helping our nervous system come back come back online Mm, so mm. first step is pause is to breathe the second is hold or reflect and this is where it gets interesting Kieran because it's two things the first thing is we want to think okay what am I feeling So my child is having a meltdown because there's no green ice blocks. We've only got lemonade. And I feel, I'm feeling disrespected. I'm feeling like they are super ungrateful. I'm so tired from work. I'm just stressed. I just don't need this right now. So stopping to acknowledge what it is I'm feeling. um, We talk talk about how actually acknowledging the emotion uh, lessens the power of the emotion over us. And what gets interesting is the second part of reflect. If I can reflect and think, what is it that I'm feeling? It gives space to be curious about what's going on for my child. So we reflect on what might that might they be feeling, and then we we can then go into engage. So how do we see it a bit differently? How do we be curious about what might be happening for our child? Because we know that when we see behaviour, it's like the tip of an iceberg and it's generally not about the green ice block, it's about something else or anger is a secondary emotion. So being able to dive down into those softer emotions is so important. So, So the pause, the good breath brings you back online, the reflect, acknowledge what it is you're feeling so that you can engage without hopefully losing it. Mm. So what you're really saying is parents need to be psychologists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen. And, and they, can't, they can't kick off like and use the caveman part of their brain or the cavewoman part of their brain. Yeah. They've got to be kind of quite evolved. Yeah, um, and this is the before challenge. Before they execute. This is the, yeah, this yeah. is the challenge, isn't it? Because often it comes back to how, how we respond has a really big impact. So if I can be calm, that will breed calm. If I come in with chaos, that breeds chaos. And then it's just um, one thing after another. So, And and listen, Mm -hmm. I think the most important thing to think about is, again, what I said at the beginning, we are not after perfect parenting. We are going to miss these moments time and time again. But we can also get it right, or not even right, but we can do it better. The more times we do that, that's what shapes our child's development. I think that there are some, there's some good practical pointers in there. I think if we move to feelings of um, low mood, 
I mean, you've you've sort of touched on the anger piece because you sort of mentioned that anger is often a secondary feeling for something else. But what about low mood? Because that's um, quite a different animal. Yeah. Um, that's a harder one, I find, to manage because yes. um, that's just a rumbling thing that's there all the time. Mm. Whereas anger tends to peak yes. and trough and if there's flashpoints, but low moods are constant. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, I've, I'm always encouraging parents to get whatever support they can. Obviously, coming to see a family coach is a good thing to, to do. Um, I think sometimes low mood can be anxiety. Um, and, in, you know, low mood can be lots of different things. And so it's really hard, especially if you think about a low mood in a teenager, it can also be a really normal part of their development. We know that teenagers um, go through a period where their prefrontal cortex shuts down for renovation and they live in that emotional side of their brain. So it looks like grunting at us, it looks like low mood, it looks like irritability. And so um, I, I guess what I'm saying is if your gut is saying something's going on, it's a good idea to get support. And that, that's, that comes in many forms, obviously support for your parenting as family coach, is it about talking to your GP about, um, you know, mental health support, counselling, psychologist? Um, I think we have to be a little bit brave. And this is where I'm often working with parents who it's really tough to feel like your child might be struggling. And that can make us feel really anxious as well. And so making sure that we are um, just being a little bit brave to get support if we can. Because I think yeah. you're right, Karen. I think we're seeing it more and more, especially with our teens. And if you think about the pandemic, um, they've had a couple of pretty rough years. Mm. Um, well, they haven't had the rites of passage that they would normally have, and they haven't had a, you know the social time that they would want or crave. Some of them. Um, when you talk about, uh, you used a really interesting phrase like, um, you know, the the frontal global cortex goes into was it rehabilitation or yeah so um, I love uh, Nathan Wallace talks about um, it being closed for renovations oh renovations yeah. so what age is that what, so, what sort of stage or ages are we talking here? yeah so I wish there was a magical number that happened to every kid but it would it will depend on every child um, mm. but it's generally during the teen years and they come, they, so the last part of our brain to fully develop is the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is where all our great decisions are made. That's where we do all our good thinking. And what mm. I find very interesting with teenagers is that we understand that um, because it's getting renovated, it means they sit much more in the emotional side of their brain, but also their impulsive side. And so mm. I don't know about you, Kieran, but it, if you think back to being a teenager and maybe some not-so-great choices we might have made, makes a heck of a lot more sense if you understand the changes that are happening in the brain. And so the prefrontal cortex um, doesn't fully develop until um, into the 20s, late mm. 20s, and, and the latest research is saying even for some into the early 30s. Mm. Um, so I feel like I found that really helpful with navigating with my teens, this understanding that they're going to potentially make mistakes. And the question I am always posing to myself is, can my ch child fail and be forgiven? 
And that's a really tough question to answer. And it's a tough stance to have to parent in a way that says to your kid, you know what, no matter what happens, I've got you. You can actually Mm. fail and you can be forgiven. And I think that's one of the things I've learned so much through my own kids. What Mm. does it look like to provide a space that they can fail and be forgiven? Yeah, I think, um, how, how old are your kids? So I've got 18, 17, 14 and 12. Okay, and and um, have they done you know bad naughty things like normal kids? Oh, of yeah. course, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Have I, I mean my yeah. Have I managed it well? Mm. I've had <laughs> I've had a few wins and I've had a few absolute nightmares, um, but I think you know we uh, I'm I'm a big believer in it's never too late that actually um, shifting the way that we see things, the way we parent, the way we value relationship can be really helpful. And I just, some days I think, I'm glad I've got four kids because I've really learned a lot from the first. Oh, you would have, yeah. The oldest two. Yeah, that's right. And and none of them are really the same. So you would have had four sort of unique experiences. So we've talked about how difficult it is to actually talk to our kids because it's almost like no time's a good time. Mm. And the environment, you know, that, you know, we've talked about sort of creating an environment, maybe not eyeballing kids and maybe trying a side-by-side type of conversation. But how do you really foster an environment that enables you to have those big conversations with your kids? Because there's a time and place for that. Like, I mean, I have to have one today. So mm. I've sent a couple of texts, you know, because I know that that's going to be less hostile than turning up into a small bedroom and eyeballing yeah. a teenager in a bedroom. Um, yeah. But how do you actually have those big conversations? Mm. When's, when, when and how do you pick a good time? Yeah. Because it's really got to be on the parents' terms. It can't be just on the team's terms. That's it. And... and You know, this is where I think that it's actually about front-footing the connection. It's about the little conversations that allow the bigger conversations to happen. It's about, um, this is a process, right? And, And secondly, it's about listening well. And I think as parents, often we're not so great at listening. So we'll come in with an agenda and the things that we want to cover Um, instead of being curious about what actually might be happening for our teens or even being willing just to listen to their point of view. So um, I love, uh, I'm a bit of a theatre nut and I love um, Hamilton where he says, um, talk less, smile more. And I think it's a really good analogy when we're talking to teenagers. What does it look like to talk less and smile more? Um, We need to hear what they're saying without coming in with our strategies. I think also with our kids, we don't um, we don't value their ability to problem solve. So if there's a problem to be solved, are we asking them if they've got a solution? You know, I've been really surprised with sometimes my kids will come up with a slightly harsher schedule or plan than <laughs> I would have thought. Interesting. And, you know, when yeah. you actually value their opinion, um, mm. So listen well. Talk less, mm. smile more. Okay. Well, that's a good, it's a good takeout. Do you think that kids these days are basically snowflakes, like less resilient than generations before? Because you hear a lot about the whole, I mean, I say it myself, toughen up, 
hard enough. I mean, yeah. you know, I used to get, you know, pretty much like whipped, you know, mm. <laughs> like you can't even as much as touch a kid these days. And no, I'm not saying you've got to whip your kids, but yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, toughen up a bit. Um, you know, what do you think? Do you think, do you think these kids are getting a bit soft? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's one of those funny things, isn't it? Cause I feel like every generation feels like they had it harder than the one before. <laughs> but, um, I, I often have families asking me, how do I build resilience? And, uh, I did a parenting talk at a primary school and I sat down with the principal and I said, Hey, what's on top? And she said, helicopter parents. And we all know what a helicopter parent is. And she said, you know, we're having parents who are carrying in six-year-olds into the school gate, into the class. And I was really struck by it because I just can't imagine carrying any one of my kids at six years old into school. But it's a really good analogy of what what there is out there. And, you know, I think um, what parents need to think about is we are not helping our children by always preventing them from what might be necessarily falling because you learn to recover from falling by falling. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, you, yeah. that's but, right. You can't actually theoretically teach resilience. Without, you know, and, and it's more about what does it look like to be with my child when life has gotten a bit tough, to be beside mm. them, to champion them, to get back up but not to mm. fix. And I think it's the not fixing part that parent, that parents get stuck on because, you know, we love our kids and we want them to mm. live and not have challenge. And, you know, might, we might be driven by giving them something we never had. And so we tend to, we call it like the lawnmower parent that mows the way so life is perfect. Oh, you, didn't, right. you didn't get invited to Sally's party. That's okay. We'll have our own party on Saturday. Yeah. Instead of going, oh, you didn't get invited to the party that is really hard that feels Mm. sad so kind of sitting in the discomfort more than pushing them forward or fixing it is is the key to building resilience so that's sort of I was going to ask you you know how do we sort of help our kids to cope with challenges life challenges without solving their problems and Mm. you're sort of you're sort of touching on this now um you're sort of saying you know, you kind of have to walk in step with them That's it. in the moment, right? Yeah. Without yeah. kind of covering the ground for them. Yeah, yeah. And it's really hard. You almost want to sit on your hands, right? I had my mm. 12-year-old come to me last night in floods of tears. The 14-year-old was being a bit mean. And I just let her talk and tell me what was happening. And I was literally, Karen, I was biting my yeah. tongue because I could think of lots of things to say. And the interesting thing was I chose not to say anything, but I just listened to her and I gave her a wee cuddle. And next minute, off she goes. Feeling heard and listened to is so close to feeling loved that it's pretty much the same. And I Mm. think sometimes our kids just need to be able to um, have someone that's, that's able to hold those big emotions for them, to not fix it. Uh, you know, it might have been that I said I may have said to her, "Hey, but how about you go and tell Ella how you're feeling?" Or I may have given her a strategy if I felt like it was uh, warranted. But yeah, I think we just jump in too quick. We want to fix it. I might have marched in and told Ella off, but I just chose to be with her. And what mm. we know is, if we can learn to be with them when they have those big emotions, they come out of it much quicker. Then if we try and shut it down or we disregard it or we ignore it. That's right. And and as you're sort of sharing that, I'm still thinking, 
uh, about kids that aren't as verbal, where yes. you wouldn't know much about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, on the odd occasion, you might hear about a school dynamic that's extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. And as a parent, you want to rush in and fix it all. That's it. And the child might say, oh, actually, I think I can manage this. You know, and you go, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And but, I, um, I love that idea. That not all kids do sort yes. of verbalise what's going on either. Yeah. And this is, especially with younger children, this is where we might have some strategies around. I'm wondering if, I'm wondering if you're feeling a bit sad or I'm wondering if you're feeling a bit frustrated. The more we can do that while they're young, Karen, the more they start mm. to um, have an emotional uh, landscape of words. That Radar. They, yeah. And they'll come to you later on, seven, eight, nine, going, yeah. I'm so angry. Mm. So yeah, um, that's it's right. A, it's so, important. sort of seeding that early yeah. is what you're sort of saying. Yeah. Um, do, do you think that the, you know, just talking about um, exposure here now to social media, I mean, it's a difficult one to manage because with Instagram, you have to be 13, but most, most kids are already well on their way with Instagram before they're 13. And some kids, manage it well and other kids don't um i've certainly had my escapades with instagram with my youngest where she didn't manage it well Mm -hmm. um and we we tried twice and she just did not manage it well and so we ended up banning it yeah um and well done i was just yeah but i you know yeah i mean there was a bit of fallout around it but Mm. it sort of is a bit of a battle and i was just interested um in your thoughts about what you think might be sort of is there a too young thing do you think or do you think it's just child dependent i definitely think there's two things um again it's one of those i wish i was this magic number that every child would be totally responsible Mm. enough to to navigate it one thing that i think is a really easy win for parents is to at least abide by the rules of the app. I think that if it's a 13 plus app, that it almost gives parents an opportunity to go, oh, look, I totally get that you wanted this, but actually we're gonna honor the rules of the app and it says yeah. 13. Now now what that does is it, it helps it become not about you, you're not saying no. <laughs> and as you said before, Karen, they're very smart and there's workarounds. But I think the longer we can delay the start of social media, the better, but it's not always Mm. possible. And I think we have to balance it with understanding that, um, like we said before, it's actually often how they communicate. And it could be that they um, have a real challenge in their social life if they're not being able to communicate with their friends. So there's so many pieces to this, isn't there? But again, well, there is because they use Snapchat on yeah. the school grounds to yeah. talk to each uh-huh. other. That's so the it. pressure is, well, how am I going to, you know, communicate with my friends at school that's if I don't have this app? That, yeah. That's what I was dealing with. Yeah, it wasn't so much those external or safety issues. It was no. more how do I communicate with my friends? That's it. That's it. And um, I really like the idea of having multiple conversations of what would you do if. So what would yeah. you do if someone sent you a rude photo or something that made you feel uncomfortable? Mm. So you're wanting to stay in the game. You're wanting to have a sense with your teen or your preteen that they can come to you mm. with anything and they're not going, there's going to be no shame around it um, mm. because we want to keep those open lines of communication 
we want them to have some standards around what we think is acceptable. And again, that comes back to the multiple lead up conversations that we have before we allow them on it. That's right. I mean, those, those, those safety concepts have to come with the timing of getting online. I don't That's think it. you, I just don't see how you can open the floodgates and uh-uh. not have not have that child have the EQ, like be ready That's it. to have those conversations, right? Yeah, um, uh, Jenny Hale, our senior family coach, her husband works in the area of tech and schools and I love his analogy. He says, you know, you wouldn't drop off uh, your kid into a foreign city and just drop them off and let them navigate the city on their own. And mm. often that's what parents are doing. They're giving them a smartphone yeah. and there you go and their hands off and suddenly there's this whole world. So we have to yeah. stay in the game. We have to be uh, having those conversations, being curious. Um, you know, my kids are always come in to me with their hilarious cat videos on Instagram and my son is mad into TikTok. But I'm staying curious. I'm checking in on it. Um, you just can't, you can't sleep on it, unfortunately. No. The other thing that I found really interesting and disappointing was when I was trying to cap uh, my daughter's data plan with Vodafone and I got in touch with my account manager, that the plans are such now with Vodafone, it's not Vodafone anymore, is it? They've rebranded. <laughs> but, but basically you couldn't get a, um, like a $20 data allowance. Really? They're all, they're all unlimited data plans. It's crazy. So, oh, well, they don't do that anymore. So basically, you are stuck with an unlimited data plan. Um, there's no such thing as like prepay and it just, fin- once you've used your data, it all runs out and sorry, you know, there's no more activity for you for the month. So as a parent, yeah. you know, I, it was a huge, huge amount of work to go, mm. well, I'm, you're right, you're off the data plan. You yeah. know, you can't manage your data. Uh, you, you're on an old-fashioned prepay model, yeah. and there's no top-ups if you use it. Yeah. Credits in the cookie jar run out, <laughs> and then there's like there's no um, support around that. It's just all unlimited data. But there's other features that get capped. But but you know that business has moved to an unlimited data plan. So yeah. that accessibility, if you like, yes. of unlimited data is now just it's just free for all. It's just getting harder and harder to switch off. That's it. And that's, again, where I think the longer you can delay it, the better. And the more that you're willing to renegotiate, have a bit of a family reset. Um, Again, I think it's important to get your kids involved so they have buy-in around what do you think is an appropriate amount of time to be on your Mm. phone? You know, like, they may surprise you. And yeah. when they realise, you know... Or they, or they may not. Or they may not. They may say 24-7, yeah. mum, is the best, but you yeah. just never know. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I, you know, I think it's been a great conversation today because you have given, you know, me and our listeners some, some really good practical sort of pointers and takeouts. Um, how's the year looking for you? What have you got coming up at the parenting place? What's, what's on the agenda? Yeah, so lots of um, really exciting uh, courses. We've, we're in some redevelopment stage for our space program, but and um, our toolbox courses have had a refresh. So we've got um, preschool years, primary years, and teen years, which is great. Mm. And then we're really busy with coaching, which which is um, my happy place. I love. I just love to encourage parents, and I would encourage anyone who is 
listening and feels a bit stuck, just being able to come and speak to someone and be encouraged with some tips and tricks, um, I think is important. You know, we we need help. Parenting is the hardest job on the planet. Sure. I, Oprah said it and I believe her. It really is. Yeah. So it's something we need to invest time in. So how does that work? Do they uh, register online? Is it free yeah. or is there yeah. a fee? How no, does it so work? there is a fee, but we also have funding available for those that can't afford it. So if they jump onto parentingplace.nz online, okay. um, they can book in with us. And if they live in Auckland, they can come and see us in person or we do online course, uh, online coaching sessions as well. So anyone can zoom on in and we can help them. Oh, that's so. excellent. So yeah. that's parentingplace.nz. That's All it. right, so my last question today, I'd love to know what the top three things are that you're hoping, you're hoping to see more of in the future of parenting, Sheridan. Such a great question. And I had to think, oh, only three? But <laughs> I've got three good ones, I think. But firstly... I would love to see parents being equipped with the skills to be able to teach children that emotions are safe and can yes. be expressed within the safety of their relationship. And, you know, if we think about mental health issues that we're seeing often, you know, if we can get that um, established young, it really helps our kids as they grow. Um, second one is there's beauty in simplicity. So a slower approach to life. Let's stop over-scheduling our kids. They need time, they need space, they don't need to do three activities a week after school. What does it look like for them to know what it's like to be bored? You and I, when we grew up, had much more opportunity to be bored than our kids do. Um, and the last thing is probably my number one, actually, if we had to flip it around, is that parents find the oxygen mask and prioritise self-care because uh, our ability to parent is directly impacted by how well we're looking after ourselves and nurturing our own well-being and it kind of has to come as a priority and parents are notorious for putting anybody's needs but their own in front um, so that's that's my three really interesting that that final one yeah yeah really good yeah yeah like it a lot well you know thank you very much I've really enjoyed our, our chat today I feel very honored that you've joined us and uh, I really um, have have learned a lot and I hope that our listeners do too um, I just wish you a great year ahead with the great work that you are doing at the parenting place and um, I hope that we get to stay in touch it's been super yeah thank you Thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation and stay tuned for more episodes. Please rate, review and subscribe. Check out the show notes if you'd like to contact this episode's interviewee. At Source Podcast does not accept any liability for the results of any actions taken or not taken upon the basis of information in this podcast or for any errors or omissions. Those acting upon information do so entirely at their own risk. We recommend that you seek professional assistance from certified doctors for your health and well-being issues.